Hi there, I'm Devin Wilkins, and welcome to Insight Peterborough. And that is my uh, guide dog, Frankie. Um, Insight Peterborough is a project of the Canadian Council of the Blind here in Peterborough. And uh, um, we offer uh, interviews exploring issues of concern or issues of interest. Let's be more positive. In issues of interest to people with uh, disabilities. And I, I have kind of two co-hosts today. Uh, Jonathan, uh, who was here last week. Hi, Jonathan. Hello, everybody. And Bob Chrysler, who is a ham radio operator here in town, but he's also worked uh, at Checks a few years ago. Hi, Bob. Well, thank you, uh, Devin. Great to be here with you. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk to you for a minute before we uh, start uh, uh, any music. So, um, how did you get into broadcasting, and how did you get onto both uh, Czech radio and television? Well, to uh, begin with, um, when I was uh, in school, I always wanted to be a Mountie. Ah. But uh, my eyesight uh, prevented me from ever uh, following that course. So I looked around to see what I might do, and uh, Ryerson came up on the list, and they had a RTA course, Radio Television Arts course. So I decided that that's the route I would take. All right. And then, so when did you uh, work at uh, Chex? I think I began around 1964 and was there till about 1969. I think that's correct. Okay. And was that radio or television? No, I started in the television end there as a telecity operator, film, ah. television film. Okay, and but you, then you did do some work in radio, right? Yep, I was the guy that signed the station off on Sunday nights, and I helped uh, with the uh, church broadcasts that were done then. Okay, that's great. And uh, as I say, you are... Uh, ham radio operator in, in town, and when did you start doing ham radio? Well, uh, I was with the Scarborough Amateur Radio Club uh, around 1974, uh, doing, uh, helping out on field day and things like that, but I got my amateur license in 1967, uh, pardon me, 1976, uh, pardon me, get this right, <laughs> 19, a long time ago, 1976 with the call sign VE3IEL. Okay, and you still have VE3IEL. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, that's a, a little bit of an introduction uh, to Bob, and he's uh, kind of observing today to see if he would like to, to do this. I hope he will, because uh, Simon um, wrote me last night to tell me that he can't commit to being with us um, for the uh, coming fall, winter, and spring season. So hopefully uh, we'll see how things work out. Um, we were going to do a little something about a, a, a new accessible phone um, that actually has a cell phone that actually has buttons. However, we may not have time for that today. 
Uh, but we, we still have time to listen to Gene McClellan from, I think, probably back in the 70s, if I'm not wrong, and a song called The Call. All right, this is Gene McClellan, The Call. Thank you. It's a long distance phone and I feel so alone here without her It's a crime and a shame I ain't got the change And don't you know that I'm worried about her I've been all over town, every street up and down looking for the man He's just a face in the crowd where the traffic roars loud But don't you know he'd be proud To give a helping hand mm, Mister, can you find it in your heart To lend me a dollar Cause the time's happening slow Fresh out of dough And I ain't got the money to call her Oh my, I've cried out the door Cause I've been turned down before But I'll keep trying This type of pain is kind of hard to explain But the feeling's the same as like dying You put the change in my hand You're the world's kindest man And I thank you, sir You'll never know what you've done For this poor mother's son A thirsty man just got a cold cup of water Ah, mister, can you find it in your heart To lend me a dog? The time's happening slow, fresh out of dough, and I ain't got the money to call her. Mister, can you find it in your heart to lend me a dollar? Cause the time's happening slow, fresh out of dough, and I ain't got the money to call her. Mister, can you find it in your heart to lend me a dollar? Cause the time's happened slow, fresh out of dough, and I ain't got the money to call her. And that was Gene McClellan with The Call. Uh, that's a really good song from, I, I don't know the year, but anyway, back in the 70s. Um... A number of months ago, I did um, a remote interview with Leanne Carpenter, uh, who is the orientation and mobility instructor with CNIB. And I keep it on hand just because uh, every once in a while we have a few minutes that we can repeat it. And um, there hopefully are more and more uh, new blind people, newly blind people listening to Insight Peterborough, and uh, hopefully this will be of some help. It's when you get to a, uh, an audi audible traffic signal, and uh, a lot of people just hit the button and hope it'll work. But that isn't often the case. What you have to do is hit it and hold it until it says, wait. Anyway, Leanne and I were at George and Rink, and uh, she showed me how to do that. So here's 
our demonstration. Yes, we're not. We're not. We're on the. We're on the northeast. Northeast. Okay. Yes. Hi, everybody. It's uh, Devin Wilkins, and we're standing on the northeast corner of George and Rink. And uh, nearby, you can hear the uh, beep of the audible traffic signal or pedestrian signal. Um, and with me, I have Leanne Carpenter, who is the orientation and mobility specialist from Vision Loss rehabilitation so first of all yeah what's a what's a uh, an orientation and mobility specialist um, an orientation and mobility specialist is someone who teaches safe travel skills um, to persons with vision loss okay and now probably most people would have expected me to say that you're with CNIB but can you explain this um, vision loss rehabilitation? Yeah, um, it is um, the rehab um, section of CNIB. Um, so we are still with CNIB, but it just incorporates um, the rehab specialties. So the orientation and mobility specialty as well as the low vision, or um, yes, the low vision specialty and the independent living specialist. Ah, okay. Hmm. And uh, is that funded by money that people contribute to CNIB, or is that government funded? It is government funded. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Great. And, and how about the, the library? Does that... Oh, that's with CELA, isn't it? Yeah, the, that's uh, a center. CELA organization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they've kind of branched off. Okay. All righty. Now, the reason that we're here is that people have difficulty with these lights, don't yes. they? Oh, and, yes, they do. And, and what, what seems to be the frustration? Um, it's just a lack of knowledge, really. Okay. Yeah, I find most people just don't understand them at all. Um, for instance, the beeping sound, a lot of people who, who hear that actually think that that is... Um, that is the actual tone that they should be listening to to make a safe crossing, and that is not the case. That tone that you hear is actually just the locator tone. So all it is doing is letting you know that there is a push button where you can hear that tone. Okay. So it helps you find that pull and that button. Okay. So that's, that's all that one does. Ah, yes. okay. So then once you find it, um, you want to make sure that you're facing in the direction that you want to cross. So you always want to make sure that you're facing the street you want to cross. So for instance, um, we're here standing at Georgian Rink, and so if I wanted to cross George Street, I'm facing George, and as I reach over to where I hear that locator tone, I want that button right beside me. I don't want to be wrapping myself around the pole to try and find the button. Yeah. It should be right beside me. Okay. Um, then when I locate it, there is normally, and with this one there is, whoops, there is actually um, a raised arrow. And oh. it's pointing in the direction that we are going to cross. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's actually letting us know that, yes, we're, we're facing our street, and this is the direction that we're, we're going to be crossing. So we're crossing straight ahead. All right. So okay. once we've got that all um, figured out, and we know that we're facing in the right direction, then what we want to do is actually reach out and, and hold that button in. And this is where people have difficulty as well, because if you simply just press that button once, 
Um, it just um, activates the regular pedestrian crossing. Oh, okay. So for those that are sighted and they can see the, the pedestrian lights, it's going to change that signal for you. Okay. But if you want the audible signal, you have to hold it in for about three seconds. Oh, okay. So you hold it in for about three seconds, and then that's when you'll get the actual um, speaking part. Oh. And it will tell you when it's safe to cross. All Should right. we go ahead and, yeah, and push let's that do button? That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I I'll... have Frankie with me here, who's my guide dog. Okay. So now, what do I need to do? So you need to face the street that you're going to cross. So you want to turn and face George Street. And okay. you want to line yourself up so that you have the sound of that button beside you. Okay. So if you turn and face George. Okay. Good. Now you may have to back up a little bit because you're a little bit ahead of the button. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. A little okay. further. Whoop. Yep. Back yep. up just a little bit. Okay. There you go. All right. So okay. that when you now reach out to your right side where you can hear that tone, you're going to feel that button. Okay. All right. Down a little bit. So there's only one one button on this. Oh, okay. All right. And if you feel it, you can feel that there's a raised arrow. Up. Yes. The raised arrow is pointing in the direction of your street crossing. Okay. All right. And then when you are ready to go, you would hold that button in for about three seconds. Okay. Until you hear it start to talk. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's try this. Okay. Wait to cross the George Street at Ring Street. Wait. Perfect. And so then this gives you time Find to the curb. your corner. Find the curb. And get yourself lined up. Find the curb. All right. Forward. Atta boy. Forward. Good boy. And you'll find that as you get closer to the, the other side of the corner, yeah. you'll start to pick up the other pedestrian button. You'll start to hear it. Oh, okay. All right. We've arrived. We have. Safely. Yeah. Yes, we have. Yes. Well, that's good. So that, that would not work, though, if you were trying to cross Rink Street at George? No, it wouldn't. So there's a separate button for that one. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, so now that we're on the other side, um, we, we actually have two buttons here on the same pole. So oh, okay. that's why it's so, so important that you get yourself lined up and you're actually facing the street you want to cross. Yes. Because yeah. we have turned now so that we're actually facing George Street again. Uh-huh. So if you reached out to your left to find that button, you would find the button to cross George Street. Okay. But if you wanted to cross Rink Street, you're going to have to reposition yourself. Yes. And, yeah. and locate that other button and put yourself to face Rink Street. Okay. So that you find that button again at your side. You oh. never want to reach around the poles for the buttons because that means you're not lined up for your crossing. No, right. Yeah. 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 All right. So... I should put this on my right, shouldn't I? This uh, pole? Uh, well, which which crossing are we going to do? Um, probably back across George, George Street. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, you're actually you're actually lined up to yeah? cross George. Oh, okay. And then when you reach out to your left, where you can hear that sound, that should be nice and lined up for you. It should be right beside you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Frankie, come around here though, because. We'll only have just a certain amount of time to uh, get to the uh, curb. 
So I'm reaching out with my left hand. I found the button and we'll press it. Find the curb. 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 We're not quite at the curb yet, are we? Yep, we are. Do we have to wait? You do have to wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when it is your time to go, yes, it will. It will. You'll start to hear it say, um, "It's safe to cross Georgia." Okay. Did I hold that long enough? You did. You okay. Because we definitely heard him talk. Yeah. He told us to wait. Okay. All right. Forward. Uh, 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 uh. Straight. Yeah. Straight. Out of boy. Nope. Straight. Straight. Hop up. Find the curb. Good boy. Good boy. We've arrived. We have arrived. All right. Is there anything else that, that we should be knowing about this? About the button? Yeah. Um, in most in most cities now, this is the type of button that you will find. Okay. But sometimes you might come across an older set of lights that don't have the talking to them. Okay. Um, you might just hear the, the bird chirping or um, the cuckoo sound. Uh-huh. Um, which they've actually paired along with this with this newer button. So you actually have the guy speaking and telling you which which um, street you can cross. Yeah. But in the background you can also hear um, because we're crossing George Street, which is a uh, east-west crossing, we have the chirping sound that's coming up behind it. Oh yes. Because if the talking wasn't happening, a chirping sound means that it's safe to cross in your east-west direction. Okay. And a cuckoo sound means that it's safe to cross in your north-south direction. All right. So sometimes you will come across those older lights, but they tend to be phasing them out. Okay. And does Rink Street, do you know whether it has the cuckoo? It does. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll, it'll, when you push it, it'll say, you know, it's safe to cross Rink Street, and then you should hear that cuckoo sound in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you want to test it out? Yeah, we might as See? well while we're here. All right. Sure. So it's just straight on a little bit, so okay. we can listen for our tone. Okay, Frankie, come on, hop up. So that we can straight. find the button. Straight. Whoops. Okay. Straight. And we hear the tone. Yep. Okay, so we're looking for the button. No, nope, come here. Come. Hi. I'm going to push the button the other way just to make the up. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. All right. And so you can push your button. I can button. do this now? Yeah. Okay. Holding it. didn't go. Come Let's on. Hold it again. Wait to cross Rink Street okay. at George Street. Okay, Frankie. Find the curb. Find the curb. Find the curb. Find the curb. Come on. Nice. Good boy. Now we have to wait. Good 
time. At this crossing, we actually had a pedestrian push the other button. Yes. They didn't activate the, the talking no, um, part, um, but they have now crossed. Okay. But even if you had two pedestrians, each pushing both buttons, they will it both, would work? Okay. They would both work. Oh, good. Okay. So we're just waiting. All right, forward, Frankie. Attaboy. And there's that cuckoo sound coming in behind it. Yep. Find the curb. Find the curb. Attaboy. And we're here. Yes? Yes, we are. Okay. Good job. Great. Good. All right, that worked well. Great. So now in order to, uh, we need to go back where we were? Yeah, or we can finish here. We can finish here. Yeah, okay. So, all right, well, then we got the both sounds crossing uh, both ways, so that was good. Okay. And uh, anything uh, extra that I've forgotten to ask you? Um, I'll probably think of something later. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe I should just mention that, um, again, sometimes the sounds are always changing. Yeah. In the past, they have found that the um, the chirping sound could be a little bit um, uh, hard to hear or hard to understand because yeah. of the environmental sounds around us. Yes. So in some some newer lights, they've actually changed that chirping sound to what they call the Canadian melody. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like O Canada? Not in no. <laughs> That would be good. But no, it's not O Canada. I, I you know. I even, it, it's this little musical okay. um, sound that they put out, but right. it's just so that you don't confuse it with birds. Ah, right. Now, we didn't have it at these lights. No. So, but if you hear it, yeah, it's just taking the, the place of the chirping sound. The okay. cuckoo sound is still there for the north-south uh, crossings. So chirping is always east and west. Always east and west. And uh, the cuckoo is always north and south. Exactly. Okay. The Canadian melody isn't uh, the Maple Leaf Forever. <laughs> no. Ah, <laughs> oh, shucks. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, let me see. I think that was, uh, those were all the questions I had for you. Um, thank you very much for doing this with me and taking time out of your day. Oh, it was, it was great to be here. Thanks, Devin. Okay. Find the button again to turn this out to uh, stop the recording. I didn't do a very good job of edi editing that at the end, did I? Anyway, that's one of the things that's always good to have around in case um, you need something to fill in with because someone can benefit from it. Well, as we all know by this time, this past weekend, um, was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing in 1969 in July. And uh, so um, to mark that occasion and to lead into our interview, here's our very own 
Trent Radio's very own Rob Haleman with Riding on a Moonbeam. That's great. And that's Rob Haleman with Riding on a Moonbeam. And our guest this afternoon is David Mills, who is the president of the Peterborough Astronomy Association. Did I get that right, David? Yes, you did. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming on the program and helping us uh, celebrate this anniversary. Well, thank you for having me. Now, you've done a lot of work in astronomy, haven't you? Uh, yes, I have. I started in astronomy when I was a young child. At five years old, my dad was always interested in space and got me involved in it. And at age 14, I got my first telescope. And at age uh, 24, I was on my first science expedition to the Galapagos Islands to study and photograph Halley's Comet. And then my first science expedition in the Philippines with the Canadian Astronomy Association during total solar eclipses. Cool, that's great. 
Did you uh, happen to uh, be involved with the last to total solar eclipse uh, a, a year or so ago? Uh, yes. Uh, I actually got lucky. I was down in Casper, Wyoming, Super. down on the eclipse, and I had a uh, digital camera with a four-inch scope, and I got over 200 photos of the totality. Wonderful. And uh, you must have been real busy because that was only a couple of minutes in length for the totality, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was a short one, two minutes and 40 seconds, but the atmosphere was eclectic. I met a lot of friends down there, uh, Chris Pine and a couple of other people who were working with the uh, U.S. Air Force uh, engineering divisions. I stayed with them for a couple of days and they t took me in tours around Wyoming and met his friend Michael who was part of the Mount Palomar Exotourism Group in uh, California and San Diego. All right. So I made a lot of friends all over the world. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. And the reason that I asked if you could come and chat with us is that uh, I, for one, am uh, really captivated by astronomy and space travel, not the uh, science fiction uh, stuff necessarily, but the um, astronomy as it is and as we're learning about it over the uh, years mm -hmm. and space travel. However, as um, many of you will uh, know, I can't see a thing, so uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to find out what's uh, going on up there. And uh, there are other um, reasons why other people with disabilities can't or haven't been able to use um, telescopes and that sort of thing. So um, I asked uh, David to come and chat with us about how people with disabilities can actually enjoy the hobby of, uh, of astronomy. Um, so you were telling me uh, earlier, David, about... Um, how people with mobility impairments uh, might not be able to get up to the telescope without uh, hitting the, the tripod? Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, even uh, telescopes on pier have legs that strength, extend out a couple several feet. And if you have a chair or a walker and you accidentally bump the scope, because these instruments have to be perfectly aligned with the Earth's polar axis, or the North Star. It can take up to 30 minutes to actually get it perfectly aligned enough that you can actually track and photograph. So any slightest bump, it can take you up to half an hour to recalibrate again. Wow. But there are uh, other options. If you can't get to the scope, you can bring the scope to you. And since you have a visual impairment to the point you can't see, modern day telescopes, what a lot of people don't know, come with what they call onboard astronomers with because they're all computer-aided telescopes they can actually talk to you and tell you what the object is that you're looking at cool so even if you can't see it you can listen about it yeah that is super yeah do do they have those do you have those here in peterborough or uh yes actually uh a company called mead they make uh what they call computer-aided telescopes and they, one of their more advanced series are about three or four thousand dollars for an eight inch they're what they call the light star systems. They're calibrated to auto track, mm -hmm. but they also have an onboard speaker system that if you can't see the object properly, they can visual uh, auto. There's an audio recording about each one in their database, and they have about forty thousand celestial objects in their databases. Wow, 
Oh, that is wonderful to hear. And there are also apps that you can download for uh, to find out. Uh, like if I went out on my patio and mm -hmm. wondered what was up there in the night sky, there are apps that you can um, download, aren't there? Uh, yes, there's uh, Skywalk 2, there's Sky Safari on your phones, and there's also uh, other apps. But those apps also have, if you can't see them properly, and I'm almost 60 years old, so my reading distance is starting to go, so I appreciate the people who have visual impairment. Now, it's nice to have the ability to either include the print or have an audio uh, recording tell you what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um Hopefully I can get more involved in that sort of thing. I'd really like to do that. Uh, and now um, you were also talking a little bit earlier about being able to um, watch what's happening on the screen of a laptop? Uh, yes. Uh, there are several cameras today that you can actually, they're fairly reasonable, under $1,000, that are called AstroCams and you actually hook them into the back of your scope where you put the eyepiece. You they take the pictures of what the telescope is looking at, and through a USB cable, you hook it into a laptop. So let's say it's something that we've actually talked about as a club. If we're doing a public event with a lot of kids, mm -hmm. and a lot of young kids don't know how to hold their head exactly in the right position to see with the eyepiece, having a laptop and have a group of about 10 or 20 people watch live what the telescope is actually seeing makes it a lot more easier and accessible than having people trying to struggle to see what they're actually seeing through the eyepiece. So it does make public events and people with mobility issues a lot easier. So like I said, if you can't go to the scope, have a scope come to you. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, so that, that isn't something that you have yet, but you're thinking of it as a club? Uh, yes, uh, there's... Technology is not cheap. It's out there. Laptops yeah. about 500 bucks, But unfortunately, the cameras alone, the good quality ones, are anywhere between one and $3,000. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah, we're looking into doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm also looking at uh, trying to build an observatory here in Peterborough. Wonderful. So what I would try and do is... Ideal. I've got the business plans written up, it's become a teaching observatory. Mm -hmm. And exactly what we're talking about today is what I would try and incorporate into it. Uh, areas for people who have accessibility, visual impairment, and certain things. There's books in Braille. So there's, no, no, there's nothing saying that you can't stop you from doing a, astronomy in Braille. Mm -hmm. Or even have audio tapes that just that tell you what's going on, yeah. describe what's going on, and today in space, like space.com, all the current events of NASA, you could also have an audio tapes for those who can't see, yeah. dictate what's actually happening in space as it happens and give them play-by-play. -play. Yeah. Okay. Space.com. All right. That's a good thing to remember. I have checked out spaceweather.com. That's a, an interesting uh, website. Um, but I, I must check out that space.com. Yeah, it gives you all the uh, current events of NASA, SpaceX, and all the different probes that are up in space right now and going on. We've got another couple of probes going to the moon in the next few months. Yeah. We've had uh, several documentaries and events on the death dives to both Saturn and Jupiter. Ah, yes. And they've discovered life on Jupiter, and there's possible life on Saturn. Yes, and some of the moons of Saturn are very interesting. 
um, Titan and um, Enceladus, right? That's right. Titan yeah. is the largest moon in the solar system. It even dwarfs our own moon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and on Enceladus, they have uh, temperatures of minus 300 uh, degrees uh, Fahrenheit, but they have uh, hot springs gushing. Um, so um, scientists are quite um, uh, kind of... Uh, wondering how on earth that can be well there's certain uh, there's certain areas around the planet those gas giants have ex- extreme magnetic fields mm-hmm. and for example io on jupiter intersects the jupiter uh, jovian magnetic field with temperatures of over a million degrees Whoa. so even though like you said you can have a surface temperature of over 300 below zero um you can also have volcanic activity and they've actually photographed uh extraterrestrial volcanoes mm-hmm. which is pr- uh, pretty interesting and gives a really good uh, dynamics on how life can evolve on planets around stars and gives us an idea of our sun's own life zone yes now um you were mentioning uh public events uh, just a little bit of a side uh, bar mm-hmm. here did you folks do anything like that to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the moon landing this past weekend uh no we haven't done anything uh, like that uh canada post has stamps out and stuff like that mm-hmm. but we're International Astronomy Week and Space Week is coming up the end of August. We'll be doing a couple of schools uh, for kids 4 to 12, doing lectures for them. We've got the uh, July 27th, we're going to be up at Harrelltown Conservation Area with uh, the Ontario Regional Conservation Authority doing a special event for them. And we Armour Hill back on August the 12th for the Perseid Meteor Showers. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, now, uh, one uh, area that I want to explore with you, do, do you find or do you know whether, you know, checking out galaxies and the stars and, and that sort of thing is a good a therapeutic um, thing to do for uh, people maybe who are suffering from a mental illness? I would say yes, mm-hmm. because... You know, looking in the cosmos, looking at the wonders of the universe, you always see something unique. And it also gives an idea of putting ourselves in perspective of just, as Carl Sagan said, we're just a little pale blue dot in the shores of the cosmic ocean. And it gives you an idea of just how vast and just how wondrous uh, Mother Nature can really be. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. It would certainly be something to focus on and uh, maybe by the end of your session there you could bring your own difficulties into clearer focus when you came back to earth so to speak one of the difficulties uh, coming back to earth with the early astronauts was the gravitational effects Mm -hmm. Uh, our bodies are designed to be under uh, gravitational stresses for our bones and everything and in the 60s even in the 50s when they orbited the Earth for the first time with the Mercury, as when they came back to Earth, their bone density changed. Wow. They started to have bone loss in their spines. Mm-hmm. So they realized that in the early days of space exploration, human beings could only be in space for a limited amount of time. 
now we're able to do things a lot longer on the space station because number one they incorporate daily exercise strengthening stretching minerals calcium Mm -hmm. and try to if you don't have a gravity you try and mimic gravity to make sure your your body maintains the proper systemic uh, calibrations Uh, if you remember a while back when the Russian cosmonaut got trapped up in the original space station, Russian Mm -hmm. space station. Yeah. Uh, He died uh, when he came back to Earth. He was up there for months. Oh, my goodness. And what happened when they landed, he couldn't get out of a spacecraft because his body had gotten so used to a zero environment, his muscles atrophied. And when they carried him off a spacecraft and tried to get him into a decompression chamber, his heart collapsed because his body literally under the confines of air pressure crushed under its own weight wow isn't that something i did not know that yeah and that's one of the main things that keeping our body strengthening keeping mimicking the gravitational effects so our bodies have 15 percent air pressure because the atmosphere of our planet is 15 pounds psi yeah we don't feel it because our bodies are equal to the outside temperature or the outside pressure right and well the space you don't have that yeah, no gravity and, nope. and little pressure. So they try and keep the space stations pressurized to our bodies. And when you do spacewalks, you also have a pressurized spacesuits. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, but if you don't exercise, your, your muscles atrophy. So that's why they always have to ch- do treadmills. They do weights. They mimic uh, the gravitational rotation of the space station to try and mimic the Earth's gravity and maintain their muscle mass. And when that uh, Russian cosmonaut was uh, trapped up there, they they didn't do things like that, and they didn't have the uh, uh, pressure. Um, uh, no, in the old day, in the old days, they didn't have the maneuvering room, mm-hmm. and no, they only were supposed to be up there for a two or three week mission. Ah. He was up there for six months, ah. and that turned out to be fatal. Right. But things have come a long way since then. Uh, things have come a long way to, uh, since then. We've learned a lot about how our physiology reacts to zero gravity and, and space. So doctors and astronauts and even cosmonauts have had to adjust their daily routines and incorporate and keep in mind that they have to stabilize their bodies under artificial gravity and artificial things to keep... the bodies thinking they're on earth but they're not yeah and that way they have a lot more stamina a lot more endurance and the space effects are a lot min- uh, minimized to a great deal okay so now if people um whether they're disabled or not wanted to uh contact the uh, peterborough uh, astronomy association mm-hmm. and find out more about your activities and and that sort of thing and maybe ask uh, questions that are um, more questions that I, I've asked you about how people with disabilities can um, enjoy the hobby of astronomy. How would they go about contacting uh, you? Uh, we have a website, uh, peterboroughastronomy.com, and they can contact us there or myself or my own personal email and personal phone number. But that's something that we've actually started to address in our own club as our age, all of our ages get higher, our, our <laughs> overall abilities get less. Yeah, yeah. okay. 
Well, so, I mean, uh, it is, uh, the uh, local association is accessible, so uh, if you want to pursue this anymore um, than we have here, uh, that would be great. And uh, so you can find um, the uh, website, peterastronomy.com. Okay, that's great. Uh, thank you so much, David, for, uh, for being with us. Uh, on the uh, on the show, I really appreciate that, and uh, I think we have a couple of songs, uh, Jonathan. Uh, uh, there's one by Stu Davis, who was a um, country music music singer from way back when, in the fifties, uh, called. Um, something about a garden on the moon. A garden, a garden spot on the moon. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we can play that song for you guys. It's about two minutes long. Yeah, okay. Okay, let's get that yeah. queued up here. Okay. I've staked out a claim, and oh, what a claim, on a bit of land so many miles away. I've never been there, but it's up there somewhere And sure enough I know that's where we're going someday On a rocket we'll fly to our home in the sky And maybe that great day will be here soon Oh, how happy we'll be, honey, just you and me With a garden spot on the moon It seems like a dream, but strange though it seems The scientists have said that by and by This strange mystery no longer will be And people from this earth will soon inhabit the sky Like prospectors of old, searching for gold I'm sure we'll find our treasure pretty soon So when that time is here, honey, we'll have no fear With a garden spot on the moon What a thrill it will be for you and for me In a paradise up there beyond the blue A home mid the stars that we can call ours Where we can both survey this lowly earth we once knew The stories we've heard may not be so absurd And maybe we can prove them mighty soon So on some future day we'll be doing okay With a garden spot on the moon Stu Davis there with a garden spot on the moon, and uh, the moon has always been um, a real fascination for a lot of people for many years. And uh, we have a little more time, so we can uh, continue to talk with uh, David Mills from the uh, Peterborough Astronomy Association about... Now, you talked about um, the Perseid uh, meteor shower that's coming up in... Um, mid-August. August the 12th, yes. Okay. Where do they figure, or do they have any idea where uh, meteorites from that, or meteors, I may have the wrong term, from uh, in that particular shower, where they come from? Uh, yes. Uh, meteors, uh, meteor showers are basically leftover debris from comets that have gone by the Earth in years gone by. 
so in uh, Perseid's case, Perseid is the constellation where the main source of the meteor shower occurs. So that's where the, what they call the radiant or where the area of the sky to look at. Mm -hmm. It's caused by an old comet that came by generations ago. And every August the 12th, the Earth's orbit carries us through that debris field as it orbits the follows the or comet's orbit. Okay. So over the years, like 30 to 40 years ago, the Perseid meteor showers were about 100 to 150 an hour. And over the years, they've declined because every year as the Earth goes through, our gravity sweeps up the small particles of dust and gas and small rocks left over from the comet. So every year, there's less and less material to actually draw in. But you always hit the unexpected effect. Last year, we had a great year for the showers. And about 10.30 last year, we had what they call a fireball. Oh. It was where a pebble-sized meteor came in, came in hot. And instead of burning up in the upper atmosphere, it exploded in the lower atmosphere. You could actually hear it sizzle and actually feel the sonic boom as it exploded overhead. Wow. Were you actually um, able to witness that? Oh, it lit up half the sky. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, you yeah. could hear it sizzle. I just happened to be looking at the right area of the sky. I said, look, fireball. Ah. And then people looked up, and then it, it sizzled and exploded. They just went, wow. Oh, yeah, that, that would have been super. Um, speaking of um, what you could hear, mm -hmm. that reminds me of another area that I wanted to explore with you, uh, a, a lot of, of sounds, or what could be sounds in space, have been recorded, haven't they? Uh, yes, they can record uh, something if you're close enough, but because space is a vacuum, sound does not travel well through a vacuum, thank right. goodness for us. <laughs> uh, someone once said, are stars silent? I said, no, stars are very loud and exploded, even if 1% of the sound of our own sun managed to uh, reach the Earth, every living thing on the planet would have its eardrums uh, exploded. Wow. Uh-huh. But there are uh, websites where you can go to hear uh, uh, sounds from our sun and uh, maybe even some of our planets? Uh, I'm not familiar with that, but... Okay. But what you can get is sounds probably from the planets, from the probes, because Jupiter has aurora borealis uh, lightning storms. Okay. Same with uh, Saturn at the poles. And the Canadian France Hawaiian Telescope did a study on this from 2017 to 2019. And they were stunned at the intense magnetic field in auroras. So if you were close enough, you could actually pick up the electromagnetic interference and background sound of it. Mm hmm. Wow, that would be something. Um, what you could also do probably is uh, do a Google for sounds in space or something like mm -hmm. that, and you might find uh, uh, something like that. Some of the one of the NASA probes that went into both the depth dive to Jupiter and depth dive to Saturn. Uh, you could check NASA's website to see if they have any audible recordings of the electromagnetic. Uh, background noise of yeah. those planets. So that would be interesting to look at. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that's one thing I will uh, do. Um, 
And uh, are there any other exciting um, astronomical events that are coming up, uh, David, uh, for, uh, during the next little while? Actually, we've got a couple coming up on July 27th, which is uh, the Peterborough Pulse. We're not involved in it, but there's other, other groups involved. And we're doing a couple things at uh, Regional Conservation Authority on July 27th. We'll be up in uh, Buckhorn in August at Emily Park doing stuff. But there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the sky. There's one particular galaxy I want to talk about today. Okay. It's called the Fireworks Galaxy. I did a talk about it a few months ago. And it's something that actually amateur astronomers can get involved with. They call it the Fireworks Galaxy because there's so many what they call supernovas or giant star explosions where they're actually bright enough to see with, no with normal telescopes, even 8- and 12-inch scopes. Mm -hmm. And NASA doesn't have the time, but a lot of amateurs can do this. Our Milky Way Galaxy has what they call a supernova explosion like we had in 1987 with the supernova A explosion, maybe once a century. Wow. Uh, this galaxy is so hot that there have been almost nine supernovas in the last hundred years and four of them in the last 25. Wow. My goodness. And it, uh, because a lot of the stars in this galaxy, there's only there's a lot smaller than ours, but they're big. They're 100 to 200 times the size of our sun. Wow. They're over 60,000 to 100,000 degrees, and they're very unstable. So, which makes it perfect conditions for what they call a, not a nova, which is, means a star just dies out and its outer layers expand. And nova actually comes from the Latin being new. Mm -hmm. And ancient astronomers back in the 1700s and 1800s thought novae were new stars, but they were actually old stars shedding its shell, creating what they call ring and planetary nebula that look like uh, new stars. But they're gas stars, but they're not. So this galaxy is so unstable that the chances of an amateur astronomer picking up an actual supernova are relatively high. Ah, okay. And... Um uh, so can uh, people find out uh, more information about that on uh, your website? Uh, not our website, but I'll be putting something up. But NASA's a place to go, and I'll be doing an article on that come uh, September. We have a news article called The Reflector that we do monthly. We're on vacation for July and August. Mm -hmm. But that is something that I will be writing about uh, come September. Okay. All right, we got about five minutes left here. All right. Yeah, time does go by fast. Um, and uh, so your your website, again, is? Uh, PeterboroAstronomy.com. All right. And people can find out how to contact you or the uh, association by going to that website, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, I'm the president, so my website's on, my email's on there, and all our directors are on there. Uh, we meet at the Rotary Center at the zoo the first Friday of every month from yeah. 7 to 9, and we also have novice classes from 6 to 7. So anybody coming out who wants to get into astronomy and learn of astronomy, please come out, and it's free to the public to come in and join our class. And that'll be starting in September, will it? Uh, yes, the first yeah. Friday of September at 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock is the novice class, and then from 7 to 9 is the regular meeting. All right. I might just have to come up, and even if I just sit and listen, I know I'll learn a lot. Thank you very much, David, for being with us, and um, we'll, uh, we'll try to follow 
Um, what else? Oh, there's a link to NASA, uh, the NASA website on your website. Uh, yes, there is. We actually have uh, a NASA certificate uh, for doing public education and astronomy. It's our 17th year for getting it. All right, super. Uh, let's uh, finish now with uh, Buddy Burke. And what's the name of the song, Jonathan? The song is called The Big Old Moon. All right. Uh, take care, folks. See you next week. Gotta run. Bye. Big old moon keeps shining. Well, my eyes, baby.